Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cpdn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Well, it's 10 o'clock. Are we waiting on people still? No, I think Jay couldn't make it. Oh, Jay couldn't make it? Yeah. All right. Well, we get started? Yeah, let's, let's get started. It. So, um, hi, my name is Brian Haas. I am a uh, film critic for 30 years. Uh, I'm a writer. Um, I found this convention last year, and I am sold. <laughs> I will be here forever. Joe can never get rid of me now. <laughs> He'd made some terrible mistake thinking I was a writer, and now he can't get rid of me. Um, but in just this last year, and I, I don't accredit it all to uh, Tuscon, but uh, I, I definitely think it helps put you in the right mindset. Uh, I placed 10th in the NYC short screenplay. There was like 1,500 people that um, you know did that, and uh, my screenplay finished 10th. Uh, I just finished a screenplay that's it's like outside of my wheelhouse. It's not like stuff that I normally do, and I think it's probably the best thing I've ever done. And like this convention puts you in the mindset of creating. So that's why I'm here, and that's why I like to talk about stuff that yeah, this, this is one of the panels that I really want to do because they're you know people just argue all day long that Hollywood's just you know vomiting out the same stuff over and over again and to a certain degree that is true but like there's definitely stuff out there that people need to be looking for so anyways that's who I am hi I'm Mary I write sci-fi and fantasy I also um, do I think mostly TV critiques for a publication called the work print online um, these are some of my books, uh, one about a girl who slays demons, one about a cryptid, uh, Mantis Man, and yeah, that's who I am. I'll get that one from you later. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Hello, uh, I'm Marty Katoa. I'm a local filmmaker. Uh, I shot part of a movie at Tuscon about three years ago called Love Song of William H. Shaw. A couple of you out there are in it. And uh, we're actually going to show a clip from it tonight in the video room around 10 o'clock-ish. That's as soon as they could get it in there. But the movie's almost done. Every, the world's shutting down for, for a bit there, slowed us for a bit, but we're, we're getting it finished and it'll be out the beginning of next year. Excellent. Uh, hopefully like on Tubi or Amazon, something like that. Yeah, Tubi's amazing Like in, in terms of like the stuff that they have available. It's basically everything. Uh, I mean, a real, um, a real boon for indie filmmakers that don't have the kind of budget or marketing or anything like that to, you know, it gives them a marketplace. So I'm, I'm very thankful for Tubi, even with the commercials. <laughs> Does Amazon let you, I guess, self-publish film the way they let you self-publish books? 
Uh, I think they do. They're, they've become more strict about what they put on there. Like I've even heard Cycle 8 got pulled off it's, a couple of It's times. changed in the last couple of years. But it I, used to be much more open, but yeah. Yeah, I went through a distributor who put it on to Prime, so I didn't really have personal experience going through them, but I have heard it's getting a little more difficult. And, uh, you know, I know everybody loves the Marvel movies. I, I love the Marvel movies, right? They're all the same, but I, I love them, you know? I mean, it's They're been, comfort food. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what's going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, everything's going to be fixed and resolved by the end of it. And, you know, they'll ask some new questions or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think too many people these days think, that that's all that's out there. And uh, the pandemic really hasn't helped things any in terms of like, you know, uh, I thought it might be an interesting time and we might eventually get there, but like, it's just been, you know, I have a lot of friends that are filmmakers that run the gamut from like very big names that you would probably recognize to, you know, the people that we were talking about here that just crowdfund it, you know, and do all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, uh, it's like the, it just changed everything and so like the way that the production codes have changed and um, having um, very strict um, guidelines in terms of you know safety precautions and everybody's health uh, in mind um, it really has sort of changed things um, and so and the studios are very nervous still um, I mean, Disney might be the only one who's not really sweating things because they're just like, we got a great distribution system. <laughs> right, in They were thinking way ahead of everybody else. Um, and so, um, you know, all the other ones are sort of still kind of, you know, wait and see or they'll sit on these movies and, you know, think, oh, well, if I can release it at, during a certain time frame or whatever, maybe it's going to... And so they're being very selective in terms of stuff that's getting released to the big screen. On the other hand... There's movies that come out like Smile. Smile is supposed to go directly to uh, Peacock, and they they said, "Yeah, let's throw it in some theaters, see what it does." Right? You know, 160 million dollars later, you know, uh, I guess that it was okay. Um, and um, the one that I really like to point out, and this this is where I hope the turning point happens, because like this has happened in the past. You know, it used to be in the 60s and 70s, regionally, there were a lot of filmmakers, you know, from whatever region you were in, that would make films specifically for you, and they would run on the grindhouses or the drive-ins or, you know, whatever. Um, and with the studios coming in and buying all of the theaters in the 60s and 70s and really just sort of making it them, you know, um, they just sort of edged all those people out. Um, and Terrifier 2 was all self, you know, like they, that was all DIY. They crowdsourced that whole thing. They obviously had like something that, you know, they knew was something, um, but like it was supposed to be released in movie theaters for three days and it's still running. Like they've released it at the beginning of October and it, they still don't understand why it's like the box office is not going down. It keeps going up every week. It's like, this doesn't happen with movies. And what I'm really hoping is that Hollywood pays attention and some movies, like Fall is another one. Fall was an independent movie that got bought by Lionsgate because they're like, I think I can sell that, right? And they were, they were able to do that. And so I'm hoping that this sort of comes into a new era of getting the small guys the opportunities again, you know, because like there's so many, that's where a lot of the really super interesting stuff, you know, ends up. Um, and those small guys are, 
Yeah, I mean, they're getting released to like the streaming services and stuff like that, but it's not the same as like being in a movie house. And um, I hope that changes. I don't know if it will. I guess we'll see. I feel like you see it a little bit with uh, with horror because there has been this horror renaissance, and I think part of the reason is you know movies like Get Out did so well, right. and they're relatively low risk for these big right. studios. Like, okay, throw a filmmaker like I don't know ten million dollars for a studio, that's like pocket change. Right. And then if the return's so big, it's like a good gamble. So who knows? It might work for other genres too. Yeah, I'm hoping. Um, I mean, like. Jason Blum has done, I mean, that's how he's, his whole business model is that, you know. Um, Michael Bay sort of set the standard with Platinum Dunes about 20 years ago. I don't, I didn't really like a lot of the remake stuff that they did, but like he just knew there's a market for this, right? And I can take advantage of that. Um, and so, and the thing about horror is that in times like this, it becomes very important because, you know, you can talk about difficult social problems um, in a way that you just can't come right out and, you know, like a movie like Spontaneous, which I, I hope, I, I keep feeling like I'm, you know, introducing everybody to this movie. Streaming on Prime, um, it's a movie about kids who, they're going to school and then all of a sudden one day, kids just start blowing up, right? Just like spontaneously combusting, you know? Um, and it has all of these overtime <coughs> school shootings and like, COVID, like it happened during COVID, and I'm like, geez, like you talk about hitting the no nail on the head, you know, um, and like, and it can talk about that in a way that's more palatable than, you know, like nobody wants to watch a movie about school shootings. Like, no, we don't want to watch, we don't want to see it on television. We don't want to see it in the news, and nobody's gonna like put themselves through that for two. I mean, there are people. I've done it before. You know, I'm a film critic. You know, they'll be go see this movie about. You know, and it's just like, okay, well, I guess I will. But like, you know, I know nobody's gonna go watch those movies. You know, um, like a movie like uh, we need to talk about Kevin with Tilda Swinton and um, oh god, the guy who's uh, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, thank you. Who's just like we really did need to talk about Speaking Kevin. Speaking about spontaneously combusting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, it's a good movie, right? I like it, but like, I could tell you, like it's a good like movie about school shit. Nobody's gonna go out and watch it because they don't wanna watch that shit. I don't blame them. I don't, you know, I honestly don't wanna watch it either, but spontaneous, I can palette it in that context, right? You know, and you, it, they really do a great job of like, getting you invested in the characters before stuff starts happening. So when the kids start blowing up, you really care, you know, and so, um, Stuff like that, um, I think it's just super important. And um, I'm, I am still, like horror, I'm still seeing a good stream of like all sorts of thoughtful, really good stuff. Um, and that's always sort of when times like this happen because people want that as like comfort, like you were saying. Yeah, I think one of the challenges about getting people back into theaters though is that, you know, nothing can compete with the comfort of your own home. Mm -hmm. When you can, you know, pause the movie when you want to, right. when you can like order pizza and no one's gonna yell at you for bringing it in. Right. And I think uh, the movies that do make it on the big screen, um, they're the ones that you want to see in a theater. You know, that's why like big Marvel movies, like you want to see those mm -hmm. special effects. And horror too, like, you know, there's something about being in a dark theater that's scarier <laughs> than being in your living people. room. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So I think theaters are going to have to step it up if we want to get people back in the theater for movies that are not, you know, big special effects movies or, you know, horror where it's like you want to be sitting alone in the dark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> are we getting to be a divide between people who stream rather than go to the movies? Um, I mean, I'm on both sides too. So, you know, like, because, um, like, there's nothing that's made me happier um, than the way that small movies have been released 
you know, like I wish this was when I was a kid. I was growing up in a, you know, podunk town that had. I mean, we had like um, you know video stores and stuff like that, but I wasn't getting cool stuff. You know, like the the cool stuff was I'd hear about it later and have to go find it out. You know, um, and like now. If there's something cool that happens, you know, everybody can know about it, like, immediately. And so um, something like Deadstream that just got released on Shudder, and it's kind of like Evil Dead with a GoPro, you know. Um, Evil, Evil Dead Light with a GoPro. It's not quite, you know, as ramping up the violence and horror or whatever, but, like, everybody immediately knew it, and everybody was immediately about this movie, you know. And, like, we all just sort of, like, so I love the fact that we can all have that connection because a lot of times, especially when I was a kid, it would roll out to the big cities first, you know, and so if you had friends in the big city, maybe they'd tell you about it or something like that. And then it'd roll out to like the smaller places. If you're lucky, maybe you got the second rollout, you know, um, or maybe it played your dollar theater, you know, after it was done, you know, going through all the big towns or whatever. And then I, I, I had to wait, you know, 18 months, two years to see it on video or whatever. And now it's just like, no, it's available at midnight. Let's start watching this right now. <laughs> um, but to what Mary was saying, um, like I do think, and this is something, because I program movies, right? So this is something that I think about all the time, right? Um, I've been, uh, I never thought I'd get into live events. And, uh, you know, here I am, like, talking in front of all you guys. <laughs> and um, one of the things that has really sort of changed, because, like, I would... A lot of times it was just like I would do the comfort movies and people would just show up, right? So if I do The Breakfast Club, yeah, I'm going to sell that out because people want to see The Breakfast Club, you know? And, like, now it's like people can watch Ferris Bueller, you know, at home, right? And it's so there's got to be more to what it is. And so, like, I, whenever I'm pitching something to, like, my program manager or to somebody, you know, at a different movie theater that I don't normally – like, I've, I've done stuff at The Loft um, – and um, I always pitch it as value-added that I'm bringing, right? I'm going to bring my expertise. I'm going to talk in depth about the movie. going to have a QA afterwards, you know, get the discussion. Hopefully keep them there a little bit longer. Maybe they'll buy a little extra popcorn, you know, or, you know, another beer or something like that. Um, and just, like, I have to, you know, and I have to have those things because, like, it's not just enough to show the movie anymore, you know, even if it's something that everybody loves. And I love the weird shit, so, like, I really have to, like, you know, work extra time to, to do that sort of stuff, so. I think that's been happening through all businesses after the COVID is they have to offer more service because the product is the product. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing. You're offering yep. more service to pull people in for that. Like, for instance, like, my program director does, like, movie sing-alongs, right? So, we'll, you know, they do Rent, they do uh, Rocky Horror, they do whatever, you know. Everybody sings along, right? They do movie parties where it's, you know, like, your favorite movies, and then they give you props. And so, like, um, you know, when certain things happen in the movie, you know, everybody can stand up and cheer and, you know, interact and stuff like that. Um, we do stuff that, like nobody else can do like we cut up old like television stuff that's just been sitting around forever and nobody even knows that it even exists anymore and like we just did one with um william shatner where it's just all the stuff he did in between when star trek ended and before star trek the movie and it is insane <laughs> it is insane you're just like somebody please like Tell Bill you don't have to accept every job that's offered to you. Um, but he did because he didn't 
you know. I think you're hitting on something about um, the place of theater movies in our culture. Like it used to be that was where you went to see mm -hmm. movies. And I guess we go way back, like, you know, going to the movies was like going to the theater. They right. even had overtures and intermissions like you mm -hmm. would at theater. That's why old movies are so freaking long, because it was meant to be your entire evening. And then it kind of became more of a casual thing, like, it's Friday, I'm bored, let's go to the movies. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of the only place you could see movies. Mm -hmm. And now that's not true anymore. Like, the default is, okay, I can watch a movie from my couch. And so theaters, like I said, have to step it up because it's become an event. Like, people still want to go to events. Like, if anything, the pandemic showed, you can get everything at home, but you still want to go out. You still want to go with other people, but there has to be a reason. I mean, Halloween Ends made 45 million. I hated it. I fucking hated that movie. Uh, and I was, like, actively angry at the way that they, like, ended the film and everything. But, like, it still made $45 million its opening weekend, even though I watched it at home on Peacock, because I'm like, you're not getting any more of my money. <laughs> I have learned this lesson the hard way five times or whatever already. Um, uh, Halloween ends, oh. but people still went because they still want that communal feeling of like seeing a movie like Halloween, you know. And so it's there is something to that. You were saying about movies being a big event. Uh, the roadshow movies were in response to television mm -hmm. because before, in the '30s and '40s and early '50s, movies were all a mass thing that you went yeah. to maybe a couple of times a week. Then television hit and everybody was staying home and so Hollywood decided, well, we gotta offer something. Television does not. And that's when they came out with the big road shows like Cleopatra and Dr. Gervago and all of all the uh, No, I think we're seeing something like that now with all these like Marvel movies, around. yeah, like it's, and like and Jurassic World and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like it's all stuff that it looks better, bigger. Right. Yeah. Or look at like what Kevin Smith's been doing, right? You know, I'm not the the hugest Kevin Smith fan, but I respect the way that he markets his movie like nobody else um he's going to be in phoenix in like two weeks showing clerks three i i, I don't care right it's, <laughs> it's not my thing right um but like they he has a super devoted audience they're all going to come out they're all going to have that you know experience together and he's charging more it's like 35 40 and he, hey James and Bob are there and they can talk about the movie you know right afterwards or whatever but like this I'm seeing it more and more right this is this is another thing that we're getting more into is bringing people in so that they can talk about their movie and then we'll charge you know 25 30 dollars to see a movie that you've already seen that you might even own you know but hey you know um, like so and so is gonna come you know like Frank Miller came and talked about um, uh, oh god the Shit, Sin City, and uh, you know, they, and they were giving away like signed Frank Miller, you know, and it's like a hundred dollars a ticket, but they sold it out because like Frank Miller's there, you're getting a one of a kind Frank Miller item, and then he's gonna talk about Sin City afterwards, you know, and he's like this frail old man. It was really kind of you know cute to see this like wobbly old guy, and everybody came out and loved it. So yeah. Um, several years ago, when I uh, first went to see um, Gettysburg in, in its full edition, they gave us two intermissions, and it was a wise thing to do. <laughs> years later now that I have a 70-year-old bladder, I go to a long movie, and there's no intermissions anymore, and this can get serious. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what happened to intermissions? Are they out of vogue? I mean, <laughs> um, yes, is the short answer. Um, so here's how I do it, right? Because I, you know, I do the same thing. I, 
get a beer or something while I'm watching a movie, um, and then, you know, like an hour, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to pee, so... Um, I figured out when the you know like when the transition points are in movies. So I'm like, okay, the big thing just happened. I got five minutes while the exposition of like them. Oh, here's the fallout of what just happened. Well, I know what just happened. I watched it, so I'll go to the bathroom. Real I have quick. seen like some online publications actually, not even jokingly, put out like movie reviews, being like, all right, you're gonna go watch Avengers Endgame. Here's where you can go to the here's where you can go to the bathroom. I've seen that review before, 100. Um, percent And so. Part of it is because um, movie theaters are making less money. Uh, they don't want to. Disgusting. Part of it might be just logistics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they just want them. They want everything to be shorter. You know. Um, they love movies that are like seventy minutes long. They love that stuff. Yeah. Hollywood Back keeps giving us like days. two and a half hour movies. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've really loved about streaming, and like like you said, you know, Hollywood just continues to like you know pump out these bloated you know like it just seems so wobbly and like you know you're just like oh it's, here's your big Oscar push movie or whatever. And it's, it just seems like so, like a committee put it together, you know. Um, whereas, like what I'm seeing now more in streaming, and I love it, um, is like the story is however long the story is, right? So if the movie is 72 minutes long, I am I am the biggest fan of 75 minute movies. I wish every movie was 75 minutes because it's like there is no fat in a 75 minute movie. It's you get to the story and you keep going until it's done. Uh, and so I love that, you know, because like before, Hollywood wanted to make at least 90 minutes and more likely two hours because they were thinking of what the commercials were going to be when they start showing it. You because know, they're thinking of all those things. You know, it's not just what I make in the movie theaters; it's what I'm making on, you know, selling the physical media. What I'm going to make selling it to cable, you know, or like streaming it on, you know, the various. That's a huge selling point now. All of them are like. You know, uh, HBO's like, we got all the Warner Brothers stuff, you know, and like Peacock's, like, we got all the Paramount stuff, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, no, Paramount's the, but whatever, you know, there's all these streaming services now, and it's, it's marketed as like a real selling point. Um, and I think that's kind of like, nobody cares anymore. So, you know, like, because we stream, you know, and there is no commercials typically. Um, Nobody cares, you know, you don't have to follow the structures and, you know, pad that extra 10 minutes in there so that you can sell it. No, so I want to say this thing about streaming too now, it's length though, doesn't matter because even some Steve, what they call TV series now, they go release the whole series in one shot. Mm -hmm. So Steve, if you want to, you can spend the whole day watching the series. I've certainly done it too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Haven't we all? I think we have, yeah. yeah. You just sit down on Saturday morning and you're like, I'm going to just turn on that first episode of Lock and Key, and then it's like 6 o'clock. What happened? <laughs> um, and I think it's interesting with streaming shows, though. They no longer have to fit into, like, you know, a commercial time slot. Yeah. So, yeah. for example, I remember with The Mandalorian, you had some episodes that were, like, 25 minutes and others that were, like, 50 minutes, yeah. just depending on how much time the story needed, yeah. which is kind of nice. It's like it gives filmmakers, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, I think freedom. it makes more sense yeah. because you don't have that commercial work. I yep. thought I'd binge-watch Resurrection. Uh, five seasons. The shortest season has 76 episodes. Holy cow. That's and wild. they did the whole thing in five years. Man. Okay. Those are the people you need to hire to do things. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, um, I'm really, so, and uh, something like uh, Cabinets of Curiosity um, that, just came, uh, that just came out, the Guillermo del Toro Netflix series. Um, 
wonderful, absolutely, and they're all like hour-ish long, you know, like self-contained movies. Um, so they're just giving people the freedom to just make whatever the story is. So. I feel like we've been talking a lot on this end of the table, and you've oh, been yeah, very what, quiet. Oh, I'm just enjoying listening to what you're saying. Yes. What, what, what do you think? Please. Oh, everything you're saying is pretty much. <coughs> yeah. Um, so I, I did like a quick list of just, you know, maybe the last two or three years of like the stuff that I think Hollywood has done that is, that if you're not see this is the you're not paying attention part. So um, just last year, Licorice Pizza is amazing. Um, Pig uh, with uh, Nicolas Cage. It's the best role he's done in 25 years. Like it's leaving Las Vegas level. Like he should have been nominated for an Oscar. That's how good this was. Um, Red Rocket with uh, Simon Rex. I never thought that I would like see a movie with a VJ, and I'm like, this is really good. Um, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, uh, uh, the horror, the history of folk horror, three and a half hours of like every folk horror movie you could ever imagine. It's, I've watched it four times already. I told the filmmaker, I was like, I wish this was 10 hours, and you know what? If it was, I would have done it because I've already watched your documentary that many times. Um, Zola from last year is amazing. Um, I really enjoyed the, the deconstruction of the Matrix Resurrections. I know a lot of people hated that, but I loved it. I just loved that she's thumbing her nose. And, yeah, fuck all your stupid nostalgia. I'm gonna ruin my own series. Thank you very much, you know? That was a really weird movie. It was. <laughs> um, Barb and Star go to, uh, to Vista Del Mar. It's a, just a joyful, like amazing, lighthearted comedy. The Empty Man, uh, Vicious Fun. Psycho Ape, you know, um, Spirit Animal, Don't Fuck in the Woods, one and two, both on Tubi. You shoot, oh, it's amazing. It's exploitation, sleaze from like the 70s style at, at its finest. Um, let's see, what else here? Spontaneous, I already talked about. Palm Springs on Hulu, uh, an incredible sci-fi movie. Um, I don't even want to tell you anything about it. Like, that's how good it is. It, it just ruins it. But it's got Andy Samberg and um, J.K. Simmons. And uh, Linda Cardinelli, I think is her name. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Promising Young Woman. I'm thinking of ending things. Run. Um, Bill and Ted face the music. Like, who, who would have thought 35 years later they would come back around and make this, like, really sort of, like, thoughtful and, like, heartfelt movie about, like, creating things, you know? And, like, the frustration of creating things. That was my favorite part. Oh, my God. Like, I... People, you know, they see the end product and they go, oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, well, I wish you could have seen me tearing my hair out and, like, screaming at my, you know, computer because I can't figure out, like, how to fix this scene or whatever, you know. Or, like, crying because my editing software is just not compressing this file for me. Why won't you just do it? You know, those sorts of things. Like, you don't get to see any of that stuff. And what Bill and Ted, that was the whole movie, is them just being, like, we're kind of mess-ups, and like, but man, we'd love to create, you know, and just because they love to create, they bring together all this, you know, amazing, you know, collaboration with all these different people. Um, so yeah, even like, you can go back to stuff like The Matrix or Bill and Ted, you know, and like decades later, and have like a totally different perspective on it. Even the stuff that they do like that sometimes can be like, you know, if it's the right, because that was the same, you know, uh, writing team that was available, uh, that was part of both of those, you know, and so like, 
it's the reason why I think Chucky's been so consistently good, you know, where all the other horror series, I think, you know, they have the highest highs and the lowest lows, but, like, Chucky's just rock solid all the way through. You might That's not like something. I know, it's about, like, has Hollywood run out of ideas, yet when you're naming these movies you love, you have named a lot of old properties. Mm -hmm. So there is still something to be gotten out of oh, yeah. old properties. Like, you can still make them fresh again. Perspective is, the, the thing I tell everybody is perspective, right? Every story's been told at this point. Every story has been told. Right? Every it's, story's been told since, like, I don't know. Since like, forever. Yeah, exactly. It's all about perspective. If you change that perspective, you know, like, I saw this movie recently um, where called His House, right? Where it's um, this, this family is, like, um, they're basically rushing away from, like, a, a really bad um, situation in Darfur, I think, is where they were coming from. And they're getting reestablished in, um, in England in, like, some of their government housing as, like, refugees. And it starts the story where you think the beginning is. And then about halfway through, they fill you in on what happened at the very beginning and give you context. And it changes the way that you feel about all the characters and everything that happened. And I'm just like, wow. Like, it's just perspective. You know, it's just like starting it at this one point and thinking that you know everything about that and then just start peppering it in, you know, and like the light, start peeling the layers back. And that's where you're going to get like the the really um, like the really rewarding stuff. Um, I didn't want, I didn't put that one on because uh, it's not Hollywood. It, it was made in England. Uh, it has uh, Matt Smith, one of the Doctor Who's in it, is like a uh, social worker, um, and I think he probably just lent his name to it to get it made. Um, but the girl who ended up in Loki as the Sylvie. Uh, yeah. Forget the actress's name, though. Yeah, but she's she's amazing, and she's in that movie too, and she's fantastic. Uh, and so, I mean, I think people just have to look, and like, it's not even hard anymore, you know, with all the streaming options. Like, it's just right there in your lap. I feel like. Oh, I'm sorry. So it's always good. Uh, like, what kind of what? What do you guys think? What, yeah, definitely. Um, this hasn't happened in a long. Time. What I wanted is an experience. In the 70s, I happened to be in L.A. the week Alien came out. Right. And they ran it for like 48 straight hours. And I didn't go during the day because the lines went around the place twice. I went over at 4 in the morning. Oh, wow. And believe it or not, the line was very short then. Um, but the Egyptian is back away from the street. You have to go through an alley to get to it. Yeah. And they had decked out the inside of that alley to look like the inside of the Nostromo. Oh, oh wow. nice. <laughs> I'm glad I went because two days later, someone set fire to it. Um, but just as a completely, you know, the movie was so different from anything I'd ever seen. I, I walked away from it. I, you know, I remember it very strongly to this day. I don't see that happening with movies much anymore where people prepare something that creative and present it in that you know, dynamic of style. I miss it. I think it's like, it's pockets, right? You have to be in a place that sort of supports that. And so I've seen it in like New York, or I've seen it in Atlanta, or Los Angeles, places that have a very strong film community. Um, so I think regionally it still happens, but you're right. And um, part of that is because the the studios kind of killed it, you know, I mean, they kind of killed the Golden Goose doing that because, like, the reason that you couldn't get into Alien is because it's playing on one or two screens, you know, and so uh, once that screening was sold out, you have to wait till whatever the next one is. Now, you know, with, like, the Marvel movies, 
it's on 4,000 screens, 6,000 screens maybe, you know, depends on what, I, I'm sure Wakanda Forever's in the 5,000 range, you know, um, and you still get some of that on a moderate level, you know, like um, I'll never forget the way the crowd reacted in Avengers Endgame when Captain America catches Thor's hammer. The whole fucking crowd went nuts, you know? Uh, I've only ever experienced that like once or twice ever in a movie. Um, Jason X was another one where it was just, uh, it was crazy. It was this uh, uh, film uh, critic screening and that audience was hot that night. And I just, like, it's not really that great of a movie, but man, it was so fun. And uh, there's a really good kill where Jason like dunks somebody's head and, um, um, uh, some sort of cryogenic. Yeah, cryogenic, you know, and then smashes them and they just, you know, into a million pieces. Yeah. And um, the, the crowd just erupted. Like, I thought they were going to shake that whole building down. Um, and it's just like, man, it's, and that's what you're talking about is that experience, you know. And so there's movies like that that, you know, like stick out in my mind, you know, like Jason X. Who would think Jason X would be a memorable movie? But I'll never forget that screening as long as I live. One of the most fun things I've, one of the most fun movie screenings I've ever been at. And the movie's just okay, but, you know, like, didn't matter because, like, that movie was so fun that night. A lot of sequels and prequels coming out. Yeah, I mean... What's sad is that, you know, we keep making fun of Hollywood for doing this, but then you look at the top ten movies by box office every year, it's always the sequels, prequels, and remakes. So part mm -hmm. of it's our own fault, because we keep giving Hollywood money. That is the only language they speak. <laughs> so if we go to see, like, the live-action remake of whatever Disney film they're doing this year, they're going to be like, made. oh, look, money, let's, let's do more of those. Mm -hmm. Well, Amazon and the uh, Dragon, the, the prequel to uh, uh, Game of Thrones... House yeah, of House of the Dragon. Mm -hmm. Yep. They're they're risking a lot, and I watched some of it. It's not up to the standard. Yeah, the sad thing though is it almost doesn't matter anymore because mm -hmm. people just are going to watch it no matter what. Yeah. yeah. But then again, it's like it's kind of been like that as long as storytelling has been around. Like nothing Shakespeare wrote was uh, was original. Every wow. single thing he wrote was a retelling of an age-old, like, you know, legend or, like, a history or something. So maybe we as humans just like the familiar. <laughs> I definitely think there's some of that. For sure. just a twist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, all right, we've, we've heard the story a million times, but have you heard it this way? Right. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of too bad oh, that, yeah. uh, that brand new movies come out and it's on ten screens. Yeah. But it's so the small stuff doesn't have a screen to go on. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, um, I mean, it really is because, like, um, it removes the event things because something's. And there used to be, like, sort of mid major studios mm -hmm. that, you know, they're not Warner Brothers, but, you know, they have some production value and stuff like that. And a lot of those guys are getting sort of pushed out, you know, and it's really just, like, the big, 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 you know. Um, and it's like they sign these kind the, there's a back end to this too. I mean, the reason that Wakanda Forever comes on 5,000 screens or whatever is because they sign contracts like that that say you have to play this on this many screens. You know, on a, a, they call it a clear screen, meaning that you're showing it all day. Um, so, like, if you're a little movie house and you want to show Wakanda Forever, you better have two screens, you know, or else you're not showing like a one-off and you know trying to cash in a little bit, you know, on like whatever the big. 
uh, movie is that's out that time. Um, and so um, it pushes out the little, like the mom and pop, you know, um, places like The Loft or um, like Film Bar, RIP, in Phoenix, you know. Um, it like makes it nearly impossible for those guys. And so that's why, like, I am so impressed by The Loft. I mean, like the, the way that this community supports that and the size of the community is unbelievable to me. I, like, I think a third of Tucson is a member of the law. It's ridiculous. Like, really? Wow. I mean, who can get a 33% a of anybody to agree on anything, you know? Jeez. Yeah, I, think, I feel like that's happening everywhere, though. Like, just these big corporations swallowing up, like, whatever mid-tier thing used to be. Like, it's happening in publishing, too. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, you know, the big six became the big five. They tried to become the big four, but I think... Um, some antitrust thing is going to squash that. Yeah. And meanwhile, all these like little publishing houses, like these little independent publishing houses, are just getting either swallowed up or run out of business. Or they have to fight for that one little spot, you know. And it's a thousand of these small guys fighting for the one slot that you know the big publishers are just like, yeah, well, we got the other eleven, so I guess you can have that one slot <laughs> and figure out what you want to do with it or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's just becoming more and more, and you know. Um, that just sort of homogenizes a lot of, that's the reason why the Marvel movies are all the same, you know, because they're just like, here's the, here is the uh, successful, you know, game plan, go execute, you know, so. But it works. Streaming is done, it's employed a lot of people. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of actors. <laughs> it's, it's great for storytelling, too. I don't know, though, because... Something I've noticed about streaming movies is that all of them feel like they should have had a test screening and one more edit. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I watched some streaming movies, and I'm like, there is a good movie in here, but it needed, like, one more edit, but you didn't bother because you were just going to push it straight onto Netflix, and so people mm -hmm. were going to watch it anyway. Anyway, yeah. So you didn't have to have, like, you know, all right, let's make this really good so it gets word of mouth. It's like, all right, this is good enough. I've know? pitched this to every, every single filmmaker I know. I pitched this to them. I'm like, give me your movie, and I'll cut 15 minutes out of it and make it better. <laughs> I, and I can do it to any movie. Any movie. Some movies I could cut an hour out of. Yeah. Or even just like, okay, maybe that scene needs to be reshot because the dialogue's actually really clunky. Like, it kind of yeah. works. Like, you get what's going on, but it could be better. Mm -hmm. I found it interesting, the list that you read off your phone. Mm -hmm. So, it, 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 going back to the, the actual topic for today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a topic? Well, there was. I mean, we've been circling uh, around. No, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> and that's fine. But it seems to me what you're saying and what everyone is agreeing on is that Hollywood as the machine mm -hmm. is, is continuing to do what it's been doing, regurgitating, regurgitating, regurgitating. But because of all the streaming services, because of all the new technology, because of all the new ways to get stuff out, you're finding the independence, you're finding the small producers that are able to put something together that has quality and merit and, and still get it out there. But it's it's the alternative avenues mm -hmm. that are getting it out. And I think it's gonna be it's the same thing with publishing because now you can self publish and now you can do some of these things that you couldn't do a few years ago. And so it's it's these alternate avenues that are gonna keep things fresh while Hollywood continues to do what Hollywood it, does. It definitely democratizes the process, for sure. Um, 
but it also lets everybody do it, you know, which can be, you know, just saturation yeah. point. Yeah, it can. Um, oversaturation. Oversaturation. Um, and so, but the thing that I do like is that it's given the opportunity to a lot of people that have never had opportunity before. Um, I just talked to my friend Karen. Um, she's the first uh, BIPOC director of a um, one of the Bring It On movies, right? And I thought it was really cute because they, they did a horror-themed one called Cheer or Die, right? And I was like, what a great idea! And it's like this you know, property that's just sitting there dead, you know, like nobody's making Bring It On movies. There's a bunch of old white guys that were making these movies. And it's just so, oh, uh, you know, it's just like the same. And, you know, it has the gross camera angles and stuff, you know, and so like, they're like, yes, we're going to give you the opportunity. We're going to give you, and it's an, it's an actual franchise, you know. It's not like there's people are going to know what it is, you know. And um, it had, like, you know, national attention. It got to play on sci-fi, and, you know, it's out on different streaming platforms now and stuff like that. But they had never given a person of color an opportunity to direct one of those movies, Right. Half of the cast typically is like minorities in those, and like no, it's just a bunch of you know because they're comfortable with old white guys, you know. And so um, I'm just like I'm I'm so done with those stories, right? I don't want to hear those stories. Those stories are boring to me. I've heard them all. I don't care if you make a really good one; it's still a really good one of something I've seen 50 times, right? So I want people that don't have that opportunity. And so, like, I have so many of my friends that are women that are getting the opportunities to write and direct now that it just wasn't there before. Um, and so that makes me really happy. Um, I wish there was a more targeted way to get eyes on these things, because now the problem is with the oversaturation is, like, how do you find stuff, right? And it's largely through, um, like, social media and, like, the different communities that sort of support these things. But, like... It would be nice if there was more, like, more focus or more targeted, you know, um, ability to give some of these just a little bit more, you know, of like a, just a look, you know, like getting eyes on them, you know. And so if that's like different websites that, you know, put together stuff or um, like me taking, you know, like that was a movie where I'm just like, I just want you on my podcast because, like, I want you to be able to talk about this because this is this is, this is stupid to me that this is now is the first time that this is happening. But I want you to talk about what your experience is like on that, you know, so that other people that are in your same boat, you know, can do that. And so, like, I'm seeing that now. I'm seeing like trans um, uh, creators being given the opportunity. There's a really good one, um, Alice. Oh God, she's called. Uh, it's so vamp. It's on um, um, Shutter. Um, she's got another movie coming out that I just saw at a film festival that's even better. And she's 18 years old. I'm like furious at how like talented this kid is, you know. But hey, like who has given that kid an opportunity before? Nobody, right? But now she has that, um, and like her voice is totally unique and tells things from a perspective that I could never even, you know even comprehend almost, you know, and um, I want those stories, and I, I'm glad that those people are getting those opportunities. No, no, just stretching? <laughs> Who else has questions? It's always good when we have interaction. I, I love questions. And Let me run one silly comment that I still remember 
uh, some costume writing science fiction convention was commenting that one of the Matrix movies, in order to get the right effects, had 16 different, no, 20 different designs for the main character's coat because as they were doing different actions, it worked better if it were different. And I think anybody but a costumer would never have recognized him. Yeah. And it would never have occurred to me that you'd do something like that. You might actually not just not realize it, but like there is flair that happens in movies that comes from like set design or costume design. Um, don't, don't worry, darling the new Olivia Wilde movie that everybody was super mad about. Um, it's, it's an okay, it's like, it's Stepford Wives and it's okay. But man, the set design, like if that doesn't win the Oscar for set design, I am seriously gonna be pissed. You know, it was, it's unbelievably good, you know? And like, um, I, and like just those sorts of things and I think just add incredible depth to lots of movies. And you can tell some, you know, one that has put a lot of effort into set design and sound design and lighting versus one that just sort of mailed it in, you know? It's so obvious. Uh, and like, uh, I have a, like a filmmaker friend, she made this movie called The Stylist, and I started like pulling out all, the, all these like 70s references, and she's like, I haven't seen any of those movies. I don't even know what the, the half of those movies are, and I'm like, yeah, but like, you're doing it. You're doing exactly like what Brian De Palma was doing. You're doing exactly like what the Italians were doing in the 70s. And maybe it's you were like influenced by somebody that came after that or whatever, but like I just it's all over your work and the color palettes are beautiful and it's just like you just look at it, it's so gorgeous and it's just like it, it adds a, another layer to the film, you know, and I, I just love that stuff. Yeah. The, um, you're talking about the, the formulaic uh, machine gunning of various types into the market to make money is not really a big surprise to most of us. Most of us recognize that. Yet occasionally, a real gem suddenly just pops up. What is that? Uh, is there something that usually creates that, or is that pure random? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it, I think that is sort of one of those things that it might be lightning in a bottle. You know, like how does, um, how does something like Get Out happen? Right, you know, it was just sort of lightning in a bottle, right? Like it just hit at the right time, the right people saw it, and the word of mouth was amazing, and everybody just went out and like and won him an Oscar for a horror movie, right? They don't, they do not give Oscars for horror movies. That's how fucking good that was. And so, um, although I think he got it for comedy somehow. Well, oh, that's the. Oh, that's the Golden Globes. That's the Golden Globes. Oh, those categories make no sense. They don't. They don't make any sense at all. Um, but like. Um, Golden Globes don't make any sense, come to think of it. <laughs> some, of it some of it is like taking chances, though, because like I don't think anybody was really bending over backwards before that to give Jordan Peele like, real opportunities to make movies. Um, he, well, I think a lot of movies that end up like getting that feeling are ones that are familiar but have just enough of a twist mm -hmm. to feel new. Because I'm thinking how everyone freaked out when Deadpool came out. They were like, oh my god, this is so new, this is so fresh. But you actually think about the plot, and it's like, no, this is a pretty run-of-the-mill like superhero plot, but what they did differently was the attitude. Right. Like how they had him breaking the fourth wall, how they were irreverent mm -hmm. about it, but it's like, the plot is pretty typical. So I'm like, it was familiar enough that people were comfortable with it, and yet it was just different enough to feel fresh. Mm -hmm. And Get Out is kind of like that, too. Like, it's 
a kind of typical horror movie yep. in a lot of ways. And it's yet, like pod course, people or body snatchers. Yeah, but the twist is, of course, that you know there's that you know racial undertone and mm -hmm. also how it ends, like right. how it turns out like the guy who goes into the house becomes the monster, like he becomes right. the slasher. Uh, and it's crazy. I mean, like I never thought that stirring. Uh, Sp using a spoon to stir like a teacup could like send shivers down my spine but you can right and it's just like again like sound design you know it's just like wow it's just like my the hair standing up on the back of my neck right now just thinking about it um, and so um, I hope that there's like opportunity out there for some of those people um, and I think you are starting to see it a little bit more in like um, I think Chloe Zhao is a good example of this, you know, of somebody who... They'll never give her another Marvel movie. They won't, but I, <laughs> I loved what she did with it. I, I love that she's just like, eh, I'll make the movie I want to make anyway. So, whatever. Um, when you are when you win an Oscar, you can kind of do that, you know. Um, but, um, you know, like, she was a very small filmmaker, um, and Frances McDormand you know, took the chance on her, you know, I think that's, you know, finding those collaborative partners too is, is a big thing. So one of the things I used to think writing was a solitary thing, you know, for years I thought writing was a solitary thing. And uh, over the course of the last five, six, seven years, something like that, I just realized what a collaborative uh, effort it is. Um, and there's a lot of different pieces that are moving around in that. Um, even if you're writing it just yourself, um, like I still bounce ideas off of people. Um, I have like creative partners. I have a writing partner now. I never thought I would write something with somebody else. I was like that. No, why? Why would I do that? And then it turned out to be super rewarding. Um, like that the the screenplay I was talking about that won the contest. I wrote it with my writing partner. You know, um, and like she definitely makes me better. Um, and so like I think you know it's some of those things of like taking those chances. And, you know, sometimes it takes a big person, you know, like somebody like Francis McDormand who already has an Oscar and can go, yeah, I can make this weird sort. It's not, Nomadland is not even really a movie. It's almost a documentary. Um, like, I know there's a place called Courtside that... Yeah, a lot of those actors were not actors. They, they, they were just not like, actors. all right, let's get all these real people around a campfire yeah. with Francis McDormand yeah. and just be yourselves. Yeah, and so... Um, I mean, it's just super unique storytelling, and it, it can be very affecting, you know. But um, not in the MCU. <laughs> yeah, <but it laughs> might not translate into that. Um, but I'll say, the MCU has been taking some chances on its directors. I, like, we actually I had do, that panel yeah. last night mm -hmm. about whether they have a director problem, but I'm like, well, at least they're trying something. It's like, all right, let's throw this new director a Marvel movie and see what happens. Yeah, I've had, I've, I have friends now that direct Marvel. I was just like, this is so stupid. You made a, a silly little horror movie, and now you're directing Moon Knight. How did this happen? You know, <laughs> um, and they're just like, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Um, but they made something that, that dealt with time, and Moon Knight deals with time. And so they're like, oh, these guys already understand like the, the big concepts behind it. Let's get them to be involved. Um, and so, and I love the television shows are where they're really taking the chances. Um, like, uh, WandaVision is one of the best like missives on grief I've ever seen. It's like it's heartrending. Like it really is. And I didn't think that you know they were going to be you know they, they would like mix in all these like classical, you know, like, I had a friend who gave up on it, because he's just, I don't understand what they're doing. He said, I love Lucy, and I'm like, just just stick with it, dude. You just, 
give it some time, and then, you know, once he got there, he finally understood, but, like... And then they gave us that marble mush ending. Yeah, so, I mean... <laughs> Witch fingers! <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love that they take chances with that stuff um, and give opportunities to, like, smaller people. I think that's great. Um, and, like... Yeah, at the I, same time, all these opportunities we've been talking about have been with these established properties. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, I'll tell you what, right now, I'm not mad at any director that or any actor that goes and does a Marvel movie, right? Yeah. Because, like, Benedict Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange, right? But he also got to do Power of the Dog because he's Doctor Strange. And he doesn't have to make $10 million on Power of the Dog. He can go do that for scale or whatever because he believes in what the story is. And so he can go and make these small, you know, and all of them do that. You know, um, Scarlett Johansson's a great example of that. She goes out and she makes, you know, like um, Black Widow, and then she makes that weird, you know, um, like divorce with uh, Adam Driver. Marriage story? Marriage story, yeah. And it's just like, and they come out, you know, like around the same time, and you're just like, wow, that is, that is range right there. That you can be like, Super, superstar, superhero. Like they have their day job, and then they have what they like to do. Yeah, that's exactly what it's it is. A paycheck movie and a, and a mm-hmm. heart movie. Yeah, and it's not like the most embarrassing paycheck job you could take. <laughs> we were talking about Bill Shatner earlier, so I can, I can give you some embarrassing paychecks. Uh, who else has questions? I see parallels in what you're saying. Uh, with the movie industry and all of that industry and the writing industry where there is a very closed group that handles publishing distribution and it's not going to be easy to break into those guys but now with independent publishing you've got all of this but they're still hanging on to that promotion um, distribution and it's very hard to get through that yeah it's true because, like, ultimately, these things that we think of as art, like, the people upstairs think of as a product. Yep. Like, they don't care what's between the pages. They just care that those pages sell. Yep. And if somebody says, I just want another schlocky romance about, like, you know, an evil king and, like, this spunky warrior girl who's, like, going to take him down and that's fall in love, like, that's what people are going to publish. Yep. Yeah, and in the movies, in what you're saying, you've laid out a lot of really good work people don't know about. Yeah. They're not letting that interfere. It's yeah. competition. I've been doing um, film podcast for, I don't know, seven years. Well, I mean, really more like 12 years. Um, but I've uh, been producing one for like seven years myself. Um, and, you know, I, I'll talk about the big stuff, right? You know, but like typically what I want to shine the light on is the smaller stuff that other people are not finding, you know. Um, because... Does does Black Panther need my help? I don't think it does. I think we're all going to go see Black Panther, Black Panther, whether I like it or not, or whether I even have an opinion or not, right? Um, and so, um, you know, I'll talk about it, and I'll talk about how much I love Killmonger as a villain, and I think he's one of the best Marvel villains ever, you know, and all these, and like he's so relatable and all these things. But I mean, ultimately, everybody already knows about that, right? You know, so I would much rather talk about. A movie like She Will, that's on Shudder with Alison Krieg, where she plays um, like this granddam matriarch um, actress uh, from Scotland who she's recovering from a double mastectomy and she's like 
she's being reclusive and gone to this retreat so she can heal. And there's all these um, parallels between like her journey and things that happened in that area, you know, between like witch burnings, you know, in like the 1600s and stuff like that. And they sort of like interweave these stories and she's just got this really complicated, you know, like where you're just, she's prickly and you kind of don't like her, but then you do kind of like her and you, you understand why she's the way that she is, you know, and it's just like these super complex characters. Um, and like, I'll talk about that all day long because I want you guys to watch that movie, Yay, right? some of it is on us. Like the fact is we're the ones like, you know, voting with our dollars and if right. we keep getting dollars to the MCU, to Disney, etc., then they're going to keep making those movies. And meanwhile, we have the power to say, we want to watch that movie. Like, mm -hmm. We want to read that book that no one's heard of as opposed to just, I guess I'll go see Black Panther again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, some years ago, I went to a theater here. Um, it's one of those, you know, we have 40 screens under here. Yeah. It's the smallest theater they had, and they only had two showings in the afternoon. It's of The Dish, which is the antics going on around the radio. Um, the Australian one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've and seen it. I enjoyed the hell out of the movie. Yeah. But if I hadn't made plans to go to that afternoon showing, which only stayed there for like four days, yeah. so I went out and asked them, why aren't you... And he said, well, nobody's coming to see it. Mm -hmm. He said this with a straight face. Mm -hmm. I went, well, how can they? You're not you're only showing it for you. Um, what is the decision behind that kind of crap? I mean, it's largely... Money. Dollars. Yeah, politics yeah. and money, you know. Um, and people like Disney and Warner Brothers saying, you're going to give me all your screens. Mm -hmm. So there's no screens left over. That's why... But the fact that you went out and saw it, that was you exercising your power, yeah. so good for you. Yeah, I've done that plenty of times. And so, I'll, like, even... Like when I see stuff, you know, one of my new favorite hobbies now that um, like film festivals are streaming a lot of them now is finding these new movies and then just, you know, putting like a little check mark in the back of my head of like, okay, just wait until this comes out. And then the second that it does, it's like, it's playing at this movie theater or it's streaming on here. Go see it right now, you know. It's a movie called Dinner in America that's on Hulu. It's my favorite movie of the pandemic. Sat on a shelf for two and a half years. I don't know why. It's brilliant. I, it's the best thing I've seen in five years. And now you can watch it. And you should. Everybody should go watch Dinner in America. It's oh, yeah, amazing. And it's 11, so we yeah, can we, we, clear we, the room. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> we sorry. can talk about this forever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, real quick. Quick thing. Uh, can you give me the name of two, three podcasts for somebody who wants to look at something like that? Um, let me think of some stuff that is like some of the smaller ones. So there's one I really like called Horror Movie Survival Guide that, that talks about like horror movies old and new. Um, there's a really in-depth one called How to Just Get Made. It's about just weird stuff that has been created. Um, Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.